Thank you for taking the time to listen to this audio sermon from Apostolic Worship Center. Our prayer is that you'll be encouraged and blessed by the anointed Word of God. If you'd like more information about Apostolic Worship Center and its ministries, visit our website at www.awcnorman.com. Standing for just a moment in reverence of reading the Word of the Lord. Returning to the book of Luke, a very familiar passage of Scripture from the master storyteller that told such wonderful stories that had such great meaning that is applicable to all generations. We're reading from the 15th chapter of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 15. We're going to interrupt the story for the sake of time today, but the son has left home. He decided not to stay with the Father. It has resulted in a catastrophic consequence. He's in a pig pen. He's in a mess. And so now he turns and he begins to pray in this 21st verse. The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. The father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf, kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. I draw your attention to three words in that 24th verse that just seem to capture the heart of the Father in this moment of return of His Son. He turns and He says to those that have gathered, this my son was dead. And I preach for the next few moments from this subject, this my son. This my son. Would you ask the Lord to help us now, Jesus? Dear God, we're asking you in the next few moments, God, that you would take, Lord, the bread of life that you have entrusted into our hands and help us, dear God, to break that bread in such a way, Lord, today that our hearts are fed by your word. And God, it leaves a lasting, eternal impact upon our spirit and our soul. Dear God, we bind every division, dear God. God, anything, Lord, that would try, dear God, to distract or disturb and that our focus be upon you in the next few moments as your word comes to our heart. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Can we do it one more time before we're seated today? Just lift our hands and voices to the Lord. Can we do it joyfully to the Lord? Make a joyful sound of praise. Wonderful voice of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. And you may be seated. God bless you. We live in a culture today that has sought to erode the values of God, that have sought to destroy the principles of God, that has sought to 
undermine the very structure that God would establish. In doing that, in the attempt to erode the principles of God, to do away with the foundation of the Lord, in the attempt to set aside God and His design for our lives, they have taken this matter called sin and have sought to diminish the idea of a thing called sin. They've sought to invalidate its significance upon our daily lives and they have tried to get us to turn a blind eye to its presence. But may I say very forcefully in the outset of this this morning that regardless of our world's attack on this thing called sin, sin being that which violates God's eternal and righteous principles, sin being that which undermines God's law that is an affront and an offense to the holiness of God, a world that would seek to invalidate that, that would seek to diminish that. May I say to you today that there remains the fact that sin is an enemy of our soul. Sin is not something that I can befriend. Sin is not something I can court. Sin is not something I can host. Sin is not something that I can take a stroll with. Rather, sin is an enemy of my soul and my relationship with God. Now, let's make no bones about it today. Sin is a little word. Yes, it is only three letters, but sin, this violation of God's law, this this forsaking of God's commandments, this setting aside of God's principles, it has big consequences in our involvement in sin. I understand that sin from a purely fleshly standpoint that sin is indeed pleasurable and feels good, but may I remind you that sin is punishable. I understand sin seems to break the constraints of God's law and from us, but it brings shackles of condemnation and shame and it brings shackles of fear into our life. Sin may indeed be the popular way of the world, but can I say to you today that it ignores the way that leads us to everlasting life. How do we turn one from this way that brings such horrible consequences? How do we turn lives from this thing that brings punishment, eternal punishment? How do we change the course and direction of an individual that's chosen by their free will to live in violation to God's laws, His principles, and 
and His commandments. In our present environment, our world is filled with many devastating things such as alcohol and drugs and oftentimes various institutions will try to use pictures to deter individuals from maybe driving uh, under the influence of alcohol. They, they might bring to a high school, they might bring a, the twisted frame of a car that is so mangled and torn and inside the things that were once in that car in place are, are in, a, in a haphazard condition hoping that maybe somebody seeing the twisted frame of that vehicle seeing it so mangled and tore up and being told that the, the passengers and the driver of that car under the influence of alcohol did not survive and was not able to step into their future and hoping that that picture, that image of that twisted car will somehow or another be seared to their mind and that they will not give themselves to alcohol and driving under the influence of it. They might be a poster of a dark alley and trash and garbage and all kinds of filth litters the alleyway and someone hopelessly sitting with their back against a garbage can, their knees drawn to their chest, their head cast down resting upon their knees in this hopeless pathetic and pitiful condition hoping that showing that image someone would not want to give themselves to drugs and alcohol that would take away from them the the privilege of life leaving them in that destitute condition those are images that are given to us hoping to deter our way hear me today on this Sunday morning because scripture is a graphic picture of what sin will do to a life and how sin will change a heart. It begins in the very beginning of our Bible with one by the name of Cain who had such promise. He was the firstborn of Adam and Eve and he was the one that would have inherited the dominion that had been given to Adam and all of the things that belonged to him and yet Cain chose to live outside the commandments of God and by choosing to live outside that he forfeited his promise and he becomes this wandering, aimless vagabond upon the desert sands trying to tell us that sin does not pay, that when we abandon our promise we will always wind up in an empty place that we should not be in. Samson's picture is given to us in the book of Judges. He's a young man with such potential and yet he dropped his potential and he sacrificed it in the lap of indulgence leaving him with this emptiness and the picture closes where he is in a heap of ruins in a Philistine temple where he had taken his own life. Such a picture was intended to deter me from the pathway of sin somehow or another to change me from the direction that I am going in. We see the possibilities of King 
King Saul and when we look at the possibilities of King Saul we see one who was head and shoulders above everyone else there was such potential there and yet King Saul sacrifices all of his potential and he surrenders willfully to disobedience in the closing picture is Saul is left decapitated on Mount Gilboa forfeiting his kingdom and abandoning his his potential may I say to you on this Sunday morning sin is not a friend sin is not one that we need to walk with sin is not one we need to court sin is not one we need to entertain because James 1.15 tells us that when sin is finished it bringeth forth death. Sin may be enjoyable for a little while and sin may be pleasant for the time being and sin may appeal to my carnal nature for just a little time but hear me when it's done it will rob you of your future. It'll take your potential away. It'll steal away your promise. It'll rob from your hands the things God intended for you. I don't know if you understand where this preacher's coming from on this Sunday morning but I'm trying to get between somebody and your sin because I believe God's promise is greater than the punishment of sin. Oh yes. And so in scripture in the 15th chapter of the book of Luke the master storyteller picks up the pen and he begins to write a masterful story. The intention of the story was with the hope that it might deter choices, that it might change direction, that it might alter someone's pathway. It's the picture of a father and his two sons. The younger son is a son who's become very arrogant. He's become very ungrateful. He feels that the farm is confining. He feels that the farm is restrictive. He feels that the farm is something that's robbing him of his future and taking from him his direction in life. And therefore, he desires to kick the traces and and to move away from the farm and to give it all up and to, to live his life. And so he arrogantly comes to his father in Luke chapter 15 and verse number 12. And he says, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Notice the arrogance. Because when he asked for this portion of goods, he was asking for that which would come to him after his father died. Therefore, he was saying, I wish my father was dead so I could go ahead and have the inheritance that belongs to me. He felt like his father was restrictive to him. His father was restraining him. His father was keeping him from doing what he wanted to do, going where he wanted to go, participating in what he wanted to participate in and therefore arrogantly he says, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And here he is now. He kicks the traces of home. He thumbs his 
his nose at his daddy and he turns his back on the safety, the security, and the serenity of his home and he abandons it all for what he feels is a life of freedom, a life where there is no restraint, a life where there is no restriction, a life where there is no nothing and nobody that can tell me what to do and where to go and how to live it. I'm going to live my own life. And he does in verse number 13. The son took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. The picture quickly changes now and it shows us as he sets off in his journey that he wastes everything his father had given to him. It's all now dissolved and he lives his substance in riotous living and his life now suddenly changes in verse 14 says, and he began to be in want. A condition he's never known before. A condition he's never experienced before. He's always had the house. He's always had daddy. He's always had the family table. He's always had the meals cooked and prepared. He's always had things provided for him. There was always a roof over his head when the wind blew and the rains came down to kept him, that kept him safe. But now on this, this particular occasion, he's abandoned all of that for his willful, sinful, arrogant, and prideful life. And he's made his way into the world and he's now lost everything that he had. It's crumbled like sand. It's drained between his fingers. And verse 14 says, and he began to be in want. He began to be empty. He began to feel loneliness. He began to feel the matter of separation. He began to feel the idea that I'm no longer a part. I no longer belong. I'm not there. Self-preservation always kicks in when we try to do things our own way. Self-preservation is a, a unique thing that all of us possess because when we strike out on our own and we do our own thing and we, we, we find ourselves in that jam and we find ourselves with the back against the wall and sin has begun to take its toll, self-preservation kicks in and we convince ourselves and we tell ourselves, I can do this. I can I can I can survive this. I can I can make something out of myself. I I can turn this thing around. So verse number 15 says, he went and joined himself. Joined himself to a citizen of that country that sent him into the fields to feed swine. I'll create my own environment. I'll create my own safety. I'll create my own pavilion and covering. I'll, I'll create my, my own place of sustenance and being able to be sustained. I, I, I can take care of it. I am able to handle it all by myself. But Scripture says in verse number 16 that he would fain fill his belly with the husk that the swine didn't eat and no man gave unto him. He finds that self-preservation, it's not 
He's not capable of providing for himself. And that he looks at the, the, the slop that is being fed to the pigs. And he says, you know what? I, I, I need to eat so bad that I feel like I could eat this, this slop that's being given to these pigs. And there was no one there to help him. No one coming to his aid. Hear me today on this Sunday morning. Because I believe I've come under the direction of the Holy Ghost to tell you sin will take you further than you thought that you would go and it'll keep you longer than you ever intended to stay and it'll cost you more than you expected to pay. Sin is not your friend. Sin is your enemy. Sin is not a companion you need to stroll the pathway of life with. Sin is one that you need to put away and find the pathway of righteousness and godliness and purity in the presence of God sin will destroy your promise sin will take your potential sin will rob you of anything that God has destined you for I don't know about you but I believe on this Sunday morning uh, that if I was in such a case uh, I think I would find my way back to a loving father that has arms outstretched uh, and I'd find a God uh, that knows how to wrap his arms around me You see, because in seeking freedom in the world, you really find bondage. Jesus said in John 8 and 34, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Because the freedom I thought I was getting in embracing sin becomes the shackles that can find me and hold me. The freedom I thought I was getting in turning my back on God and walking away from the Lord. The freedom I thought I was getting in embracing all of that. Now I become the servant of sin that holds me and confines me and dictates to me and tells me. Can I tell you today that the bottle is not your friend, it is your chain because it tells you when you're going to take a drink. Drugs are not your friend, it is your chain because it tells you when you're going to take another dose. Can I tell you the substance of this world is not your friend, it is your enemy because it'll wake you up in the night to get another one? Can I tell you that sin is not your friend, but it is your chain that holds you in bondage, that binds you. You're not free in sin. You're not free in the world. Rather, it has a domination on your mind and your heart. But the master storyteller is not done. Because he picks up the pen and he continues to write. And he writes the final consequences of sin. He says it like this. As he leaves the prodigal son in the pig pen. As he leaves him in the filth of that wretched place. He then begins to describe this son as he has a change in thought. And now it's not the pig pen that becomes the greatest consequence. Rather, the son says in verse 17 that when he came to himself, 
He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And he said, I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I'll say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. And here it is now. It's three simple words. Verse number 19. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Sin's consequences is dire and severe. The pig pen is horrible and he meets out great punishment. But can I tell you the feeling of separation from the Father is a far greater consequence than the pig pen ever thought of being. Can I tell you separation from the arms of God is a far greater consequence than the pathetic mess that sin gets us in. The inability to feel like I can just fall into the Father's arms and be embraced is greater consequence than the damage that sin causes to my mind and to my body. The consequence of feeling like that I can't get to the house. I can't get back to the table. I can't step back under that roof. That's a greater consequence than the damage that sin causes in our life because there's just nothing like the darkness of no more Worthy. No more am I worthy because sin not only does the damage on you, sin forever tells you you can't live in that house again. You can't sit at that table again. You can't have the arms of the Father around you again. You'll never feel the mercy and the grace of Almighty God. You'll no more will have the relationship of your Father. You'll no longer feel the sense of belonging at the family table. You'll no longer feel the respect of being a son and acceptance of being a son in the house you'll no longer feel good enough to deserve a relationship from God that's the greatest consequence that sin can ever cause upon us is that sin drives a wedge between me and my heavenly father but this preacher on this Sunday morning has come in the Holy Ghost feeling the presence and the power of God to tell you I step on that wedge on this Sunday morning to tell you that there's still a God that's in the house. There's still a Father that's in the house. There's still a house. There's still a table. There's still a roof. There's still walls. There's still a place of relationship with God. Condemnation's a powerful thing, friend. Condemnation's a powerful thing. It leaves greater consequences than the damage of sin itself. David experienced this in the 51st chapter of Psalm after he had committed that great sin with Bathsheba and he's been confronted by the prophet Nathan. He said in Psalms 51 and 3, My sin is ever before me. I just can't shake it. I just can't shake what I did. I just can't shake where I've been. I just can't shake what I've got myself into. My sin is ever 
before me. Isaiah says it like this in Isaiah 59 and 12. Our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them because the greatest consequence of sin is sin forever taunts us that we've lost. Sin forever taunts us that we failed. Sin forever taunts us that we messed up. Sin forever taunts us that we walked out. Sin forever taunts us that the Father has rejected us. Our sin is ever before me. And I feel like the, uh, like Simon Peter after he had betrayed the Lord. He said, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man or like Isaiah when confronted by the presence of God he said woe of woe is me my lips are unclean in thy sight because anytime I get close to his presence my sin tells me I can't enjoy it anytime I get close to his arms my sin tells me I'll never feel it about the time that I get near to where he's at my sin says you cannot go in there I'm telling you on this Sunday morning sin is a liar and condemnation is a thief that we ought to get rid of because there's still a house there's still a father there's still a table there's still a roof there's still pleasures forevermore it's still there it's still there somebody shout it's still there somebody shout it's still there somebody shout it's still there it is it's there it's there it's there And so the son is driven home. And in his process of of driving himself home, he makes that decision to come before his father. He's rehearsed his prayer of repentance. he, He has said it over and over again, rehearsing it in his mind. Verse 18, I'll arise. I'll go to my father. I'll say unto him, Father... I've sinned against heaven and before thee. Verse 19, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Just make me as one of thy hired servants. He said it again and again and again. I'll arise. I'll go to my father. Father, I've sinned against you and I'm no more worthy. I tell you what. I tell you what, Father. If you'll just, if you'll just let me live in the bunkhouse out there, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy just to be on the property. If you'll let me just live in that bunkhouse out there, I'll have to live out there knowing the joy that's going on in the house. But if I can just live in the bunkhouse out there at least I'll be on the property my sin will forever remind me that I'm not in the house and he's rehearsed it again and again and again I will arise and go to my father I'll say I've sinned against my father and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son make me as one of thy hired servants but what he did not know is that the father had his own rehearsal going on his father had his own rehearsal that was going on the whole time because the father has been stepping out on that porch looking out across the horizon just wondering is this going to be the day my son's coming in I wonder how many times he asked his servants have you got that robe still hanging up there is it pressed have you pressed it today you got that ring over there on the cabinet make sure you know where it's at is the calf have you got the calf fed is it fatted I I, I, I know I know my son is coming back can I I tell you, your father has been rehearsing the moment when you would come to yourself and come running back into his arms and say, Father, I have sinned. He's been waiting for that moment. He's been waiting for it. 
I see it now. He's coming. Dust is rising as he stumbles his way down that dusty, winding lane. He looks out across at the rise and he sees it there, that old farmhouse. It's rising up off of the knoll on, on the property. He sees the white picket fence. He, he, he sees the buildings and the bunkhouses and the barns. He sees all of that out there. He notices it now, but his eyes are trained on that front porch. His eyes are looking toward that screen door that he exited out of so long ago. And as he makes his way and he hits that, that gate at that white picket fence and leaves it slapping on its hinges, he stumbles his way into that property ground. But his father is already off the porch. He's down the sidewalk. His arms are spread wide and the son starts his program speech when he says in verse number 21, and the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father interrupts him. He can't pray the rest of his rehearsed prayer because the father turns around in verse number 22, cuts him short and says to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring forth the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry because when you come home, I'm here to tell you the Father has already planned the reunion. He's already planned the celebration. He's already planned the rejoicing. He's just been waiting on the day that you would decide I'm tired of sin. I'm tired of wickedness. I'm tired of evil. I'm ready to come into the Father's house and find a place of restoration in the presence of Almighty God. Come on, I feel a father in the house right now. Come on, I feel a father. I feel a father in the house right now. Now, not, not everybody, not everybody's as joyful as daddy. There must have been a few raised eyebrows at the father's extravagant acceptance. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. After the way he treated you? After what all he said about you? I mean, he wished you was dead. He asked for what he could only get after you died. And you mean, you're going to throw a party? You're going to have a moment of rejoicing? I like the way the father responds. He says it like this in verse number 24. He uses a little four-letter word. This. This. I can see him now. I can see him now as he just kind of gestures toward the heap laying in the dust. The soil of the pig pen still on him. Maybe a sandal torn and fallen off his foot. Dirt on his face. And he just gestures with his hand. And he says, this. The implication is, this smelly thing. This heap of brokenness. This failure. This 
But then he adds two words in verse number 24. My son, this, this smelly thing, this heap of brokenness, this messed up thing, this thing that violated my word and broke my commandments and walked out snubbing his nose at me, this thing that was so arrogant and cocky and proudful, turned his back on the farm and the home. This, I want everybody to know, this is still my son because it doesn't matter where he's been and it don't matter what he's done. I still have a relationship with this. He's still my son. I'm still his father and it don't matter how long in the pig pen. Nothing can ever change that. This, my son, I hear a father in the house today with his arms spread wide saying, this, my son, because it don't matter what sin's done to you and it don't matter what sin's done to your mind and it don't matter what sin's done to your heart and it don't matter what sin's done to your home. I'm here to tell you there's a father in the house that said, I'll take this, I'll bring it back in and we'll see what we can make out of this because my God specializes in changing this. (laughs) You see, God removes your sin, but He not just removes your sin, He restores your position in the family. You're not going to go out to the bunkhouse. You're not going to go out to the bunkhouse. I got your bedroom. (laughs) My kids, when they moved out of the house, had uh, Derek, of course, got married first. And then Brandon went to Bible school, moved away. And she took his bedroom. She, my wife, his mother. <laughs> just, she took his bedroom because she thought he wasn't ever coming back again. He was out. She took his bedroom and she put a futon. Is that what they call them things? Put a futon in there. We put a desk in there. We made it an office sitting room. Well, he'd been gone for two or three years between Bible school and he'd went off to West Texas for a while helping out there. And all of a sudden, he comes back home. But his bedroom, he don't have his bed anymore. It's done moved out. Because we wasn't expecting the nest to get filled back up again. Wasn't expecting anybody to come home. Because we'd kept Derek's bedroom, and she made it a guest room. So he moved into the guest room. Because we knew it wasn't going to be long. He's going to be gone again. And sure enough, he was gone again. But you know, my father, he doesn't take and move futons and desks into my bedroom. He doesn't have the idea and thought he won't ever come back. He says, I tell you what, have you, have you checked in my boy's bedroom today? Yes, master. I looked in there. To, well, make sure that the bed is all made. Make sure that... 
that garbage hung up there. I did that yesterday. I know, but I want you to do it today because he's going to come home and I want everything to be ready for him. I want everything to be prepared. Have, 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 you, have you dusted it today? I, 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 dusted, well, I dusted it this morning. Well, I know, but go back and dust it again tonight. I got to make sure. I got to make sure it's ready because my boy, I'm telling you what, my God, he doesn't, he doesn't move you out with the hope of you never coming back. He says, I'm going to keep your room. I'm going to keep your place. I'm going to make sure it's all prepared because someday you're going to come to yourself and you're going to come back home and I'm going to have a place for you. Your chair is still going to be there. Your bed's still going to be there. The house is still going to be there. And the Father is going to welcome you back in this. It don't matter how messed up you are. You're still His Son. And He said, I will remember your iniquities. This is what He says now. I will remember your iniquities no more. I will take what you have done and I'll put it forever under my blood, under my mercy, under my forgiveness and I will never ever remember it again. When I walk into your room I will not be reminded that you once walked out. When I walk, see you sitting at the table, I will not be reminded of your once failure but I will forever and ever put it away. Can I tell you he is merciful to the unrighteous and their sins and their iniquities. Will he remember? No more. No more. For there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. I've come to tell you on this Sunday morning you're still his son. Stand with me today. Can we lift our hands to heaven for just a moment? The presence of the Lord is in this place right now. Sweet presence of the Lord is in this room. Sweet touch of the Holy Ghost. You know that restoration has been made when your accuser acknowledges your relationship. For the elder brother comes and he sees his young son, his young brother, and he turns to the father, chiding the father for the merriment and the party and joy of the home. The elder brother says in Luke 15 and 30, but as soon as this, thy son was come, that's devoured your living with harlots. You've killed for him the fatted calf. Because even the accuser says, this, this heap of rubble, this mess, 
this sin-torn thing, this is the Son of the Father. And I can destroy Him in the pig pen, but I can't destroy the Father's love for Him. I can't do away with the Father's mercy and grace. This, Thy Son, and even the accuser today, has to acknowledge you have a relationship with God regardless of your past. Would you lift your hands and voices with me now across this building? Would you just close your eyes? Would you lift your hands toward the Father on this Sunday morning? There's a God of mercy in this house right now. There's a God of love in this house right now. There's a God of compassion and grace that's moving up and down these aisles right now. That's sweeping over these pews. That's moving in and out of this sanctuary right now. There's a great God that's come saying, I love you. It don't matter how many times you've messed up. It don't matter how many times you've failed. It don't matter how many times you dropped the ball. This, my son, I love you. I'm waiting for you now. My arms are wide. Why don't you come and just fall into my arms now? Why don't you just come let me wrap my arms around you? Let me bring you back into the house. Let me set you down at the table. Let me do a work in your spirit. God's come here today. And He's in search. And He's seeking. And He's trying to find all across this building. My eyes are closed and people are praying all over the building. I believe the Holy Ghost is reaching hearts and lives. You're feeling a touch of the Spirit. You're feeling a touch of the Holy Ghost. You know God's trying to do a work of compassion and mercy in your life right now. He loves you. And the devil's trying to tell you you can't ever find that place of restoration again. You can't ever find that place of joy. It just won't ever happen. Well, just come to Him the way you are. Just in the condition you are. And you'll find out that there's a God that loves you just the way you are and He's willing to wrap His arms around you and provide mercy today if you're willing to come to Him and cast your care upon the Lord. Would you come now from wherever you're at in this building? You feel a tug of God at your heart. You feel a tug of God at your soul. Would you just make your way down that aisle toward this place of prayer right now? Toward this place of of, of talking to God. Would you just make your way down that aisle toward Him. You can stand here. You can kneel. Whatever you're comfortable with. But there's a God in this house that loves you and wants to give you the mercy that's needed and the grace that is sufficient to touch your heart and to touch your life. You feel that pull. You feel that tug of your spirit. You feel that desire at your heart right now. Would you just come and make your way toward Him and say, God, I know you love me today. I know you love me today. And I'm coming to you, Lord. I'm coming to you today, God. I'm coming, God. I'm sorry of my wayward way. I'm sorry, God, of going back on you. I'm sorry, God, of finding my pleasure in this world. I'm returning to you today, God. And I believe you're just going to stretch your arms around me. You're going to love me. You're going to reach out to me today. Come on, there's a God of mercy. There's a God of grace in this building. From wherever you're standing, wherever you're at, I feel the tender hands of mercy. I feel the cords of love.
You have been listening to an audio sermon from Apostolic Worship Center located in Norman, Oklahoma. We are located at 3221 North Porter Avenue, Norman, Oklahoma, 73071. Our service times are Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. And we also have various ministries happening on Wednesday night. For more information, visit our website, www.awcnorman.com. You can call us at 405-329-1285 or email us at info at awcnorman.com. We hope that this recording has been a blessing to you.